All righty. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to uh, Genesis chapter 23. I'm just going to touch a little bit on 24 or 22, excuse me, from last week. <clears throat> it was interesting that it ended with a little bit of a genealogy. And people, you know, a lot of times people that read the Bible, when they get to a genealogy, they kind of roll their eyes. It's always, the kind, it's always good to look at, at genealogies. You know, uh, I, I know I've probably taken this group through the, the genealogy there in, in Genesis chapter 5, right? From Adam to, to Noah. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And there's a little genealogy here of Nahor, the brother of Abraham. He has some sons. Uh, some of you gals that are pregnant, maybe you might want to consider Huz and Buzz. Just sometimes I know names are hard to come up with. I like Huz and Buzz. And, uh, and then we get, to, we get to a dude named Bethuel. Bethuel significant. I mean, it means, some believe it means man of God. But he has a daughter, and her name is Rebecca, who is the mother of who? Right? There's, there's two nations. The, the, the Bible says, the angel Lord tells him, there's two nations wrestling inside of you. Right? They ended up being the Edomites and the Israelites. Right? Jacob and Esau were wrestling there in their mother's womb. And uh, Rebecca is mentioned there. So, just something, something to note, Bible students. Uh, don't, uh, go ahead and when you read God's word, go ahead and read every word. Amen? And so, uh, that's kind of why I did that song. But anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you that uh, uh, this life you've called us to, Lord, we're all still learning about it and um, uh, what you desire of us. And so, uh, I pray that we would uh, maybe have a little light shed on that today as we look at your word and uh, this man's life and his wife's life and death. And so, Lord, we just... Uh, praise you that you're um, always willing, Lord, to teach us by your Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would be willing to hear. So as your word says over and over again, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And so Lord, let us hear what you say from your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So uh, now, there's something interesting here that Abraham, you remember, okay, he, him, they did the whole Isaac thing. Him and Isaac come back to the, to the helpers like they said they were going to. They, they, go, they pack up, they head back, no doubt. They have a spring in their step. Isaac's glad he's not dead, and Abraham's glad he didn't have to kill him. And, uh, but they land at Beersheba. This is interesting because Sarah is in Hebron, right? And there's a, there's a, there's a dif dis distance between, they're both in the southern part of Palestine, but there's a distance between Beersheba and Hebron. And, and, and they didn't go right back to Sarah. And I, I kind of looked at this. Uh, uh, somebody mentioned it to me the other day, so I kind of looked at it, and there's all kinds of conjecture, right? Why? But I liked one rabbi, a rabbi by the name of Judah Ha-Kassid. Judah Ha-Kassid. And he, he says this. This is what he says. 
He says, Abraham was not living in Hebron at the time because he thought that when Sarah heard the story of the binding of Isaac, that's what they call that whole thing is binding, the binding of Isaac, she would think he had gone crazy. Abraham thought who would believe that God had commanded that Isaac be sacrificed and and then changed his mind that if God had such a request, why would he uh, retract it? According to this explanation, Abraham assumed that she would have never let him near her son again. I know moms like that. They walk around, they're always shielding their boys from... Ladies, can I just tell you, don't do that. I mean, even if he's rough, let your boy become a man. Do not coddle him, right? As I, I've had relationships with a lot of guys that's got issues, and their biggest issue is not that their father was rough on them, but their mother was a coddler and protected them from him, right? You need to be... Yes, you need to be wise, but you need to let your sons become men. I think, honestly, I think this homosexual thing, the whole thing, a lot of it is, is on women. It really is. Don't you coddle them. You challenge them to be men. As women, you challenge your boys to be men. It's just really important. And so, um, and I mean, who would have blamed Sarah? Really? God, he's going to kill him. And, um. But uh, therefore, he sent Isaac to live with his mother, and he lived in Beersheba. Only after he heard of her passing did he go back to Beersheba, right? Uh, I don't know if this is true. This is just one guy's take on it. But uh, I thought it was kind of comical, actually, right? But um, we start in verse 1 of chapter 23, and it says, says Sarah lived... 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Here we have Sarah's age. Ladies, how would you like your age broadcasted? But listen, she is the only, she is the only woman in all of Scripture that we know how old she was when she died. She was 127 years old. She had lived a, a long life, a, a good life. I talked to a woman last night, and she's been on me about doing her funeral. And she told me she's not feeling well. And, um, and her and her husband, we did her husband's funeral about 10 years ago, and, uh, and she's ready to go now. And she has a legacy of faith. Just as Sarah has a legacy of faith. In fact, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible who, um, uh, that the Bible gives us a, a, a high regard for. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to look to uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, which some of our Catholic friends would maybe have a hard time with that. As an, uh, an ex as an example of a godly woman. But we are encouraged to look at Sarah. Actually, in Isaiah 50, 51, verses 1 and 2, it's, it's for all people. Consider this woman's life, right? That God brought a baby out of a, 
out of a dead womb. And, and, and she is that, that wife of Abraham, our father of faith. The Lord says this in Isaiah. It says, listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from whom you were hewn and to the, the hole from whence, uh, from the pit that you were dug from. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. But Sarah is this huge example of faith, just like Abraham. They're both mentioned there in the hall of faith in Hebrews um, chapter 11. Right? As those people who, who by faith, both of them, by faith, are looking forward to that, that, that city who has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. You looking forward to it? Right? And then in Peter, women, you get, you get uh, encouraged to be like Sarah. In verse um, 3 of 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing the gold, or putting on fine apparel. Obviously, they haven't read J. Vernon McGee's commentary. Some of you have read J. Vernon's commentary. J. Vernon said, ladies, if the barn needs painting, paint it. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror." Man, if anybody was ever had an excuse to be afraid, it would have been Sarah with Abraham throwing her under the bus with those two kings saying, tell them that you're my sister. But she just, she did it in faith. She just believed God. Women, you need to remind your husbands of that. You know, the Lord's called us to walk by faith. You got this harebrained idea. I hope you're going to do it by faith, and that's between you and the Lord. But if it falls apart, no, this is all on you, right? Girls, you just remind your husband of that. It may curb a few boneheaded moves on his part. The older I get, the more I listen to my bride, right? And so uh, still we must sift, Lord, help us. But, uh, but this chapter really isn't about Sarah. It's about Abraham. It's about Abraham dealing with the death of his wife. And in verse 2, it says, He came to mourn and weep. For Sarah, his wife, and um, the word mourn there, it means to wail, to wail and lament, weep as shedding tears. It's, it's, it's time, right? It's time for that. Remember Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for war. There's a time for peace. There's a time for laughter. There's a time for tears. 
There's a time for joy. There's a time to mourn. There's a time for everything under the sun, the Bible tells us. And here he is after 60 years of marriage, standing over the lifeless body of his, of his bride. I'm, I'm amazed at how close my wife and I have grown together over the years. That truly, the Bible says, the two shall become one. That is so true. The two shall become one. Right? It's a picture of really you becoming one with Jesus. That's what marriage really is. It's a picture of us becoming one with Jesus. And you become one with each other. And I don't know what this, this would be like. We've actually, her and I have had these conversations. What would you do? Well, she's told me. Well, I ain't training another one. <laughs> All right, you go, girl. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine my life without my precious bride. And uh, here Abraham is having, um, he's experiencing what Pastor Gordon has told me over the years. It's called the grief bandit. The grief bandit. You know, a grief bandit is when it just hits you all of a sudden. You're not even really thinking about it. You know, I, 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 I watched it in Gordon's life. Uh, over the years, he, I don't think he ever talked to me about his boy Jake one time without breaking down. And it was, it's that grief band. It just, it just comes. But when it comes, you got to let it come. It's really unhealthy to try to stuff that and not, not let it happen. It's, it's, it's good to mourn. Because you and I, right, we don't we don't mourn as those who have no hope. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 here. We're going to get through this chapter today. I promise. I promise. Then Abraham stood up. So he was down low. He stood up before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham saying to him, hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you this burial place that you may bury your dead. Then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of the field. Let him give it to me at the full price as as property for a burial place among you. Now, you guys remember that God has promised this, this property to Abraham and his descendants, but they've yet to take possession of it. And so now he's offering to buy a little piece of it, just a, a little grave plot. Years ago, I worked at a cemetery, and I remember hearing my, my, uh, the, the owner of the cemetery boast how he sold ground for a million dollars an acre. Right? It was about... 27, 28 square feet was the graves that we would dig. And they would be touching each other. 
So when you dug with a backhoe, you would scrape both sides of the concrete boxes on each side, and you would sit them, and they were in there like this, right? Every little spoonful was measured. And uh, pretty good business. People are just dying to get in that place. I mean, the first week of being a sexton, you learn it all, right? The first week, you learn, hey, we got a lot of people under us, dude. Yeah, there was about 10,000. And, and you walk around the cemetery and you start reading names, you know, because we used to have to trim the headstones. And you read all the Billy Graham was there. John Rambo was there, right? Uh, Jack Benny was there. Not the real Jack Benny or the real Billy Graham, or, Right? These were guys that died back 100 years ago. And we would get ourselves in a hole occasionally. Never had a complaint. A lot of planting, but no growth. Sorry. But being around death, 40 hours a week, it, it kind of changed our perspective. Now, we were all believers at this time. Actually, at church, there was about four of us from the church that we went to that worked there. They called us the dead boys. And um, uh, interesting. I mean, I had some moments there. The very first grave I dug, I knew the guy. Uh, he, was, he was a dad to a kid I went to high school with. And uh, actually, one of the last graves I dug was Mindy Palmer's grandma, Charlotte. And, um, and you, I would see these families come, being in a, you know, Twin Falls is a smaller area. We grew up in Filer just down the road. And you would see families in mourning. And you would see how people would deal with death. And... Uh, some of it was heartbreaking. Some of it was actually inspiring how people dealt with uh, death. I remember being as, as a young high school kid, my dad telling me, son, nobody dies like a Christian. And why is that? It's because we don't ever mourn as those who have no hope. Death is really, for the true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not a big deal. Um, sometimes it's a big deal to our loved ones. Right? Because when we weep, we're not, if we're honest, we're not weeping for them. We're weeping for us because we're, we're, we're going to miss them and, and um, depending on the impact that they, they had on our lives. I, I, I know people who have gone to funerals just to make sure the person is dead uh, because they didn't, they didn't think uh, real well of them. But, but death brings us to our knees uh, it, it humbles us, and we see Abe, Abe bowed down here, um, but he deals with, with death uh, in, a, in a place of hope. Because him and he, we get this from Hebrews, that, that him and Sarah, this, this wasn't it for them. I hope this isn't it for you. Right? I hope this life really isn't your total focus. Because Jesus warned against that, right? Seek First, the kingdom of God. Um, but really, how should we deal with death? 
I think we have to, as believers, we have to deal with death through the, the, the lens of Christ Jesus, right? Because death stings us. It stung all of us at one time or another in our lives, right? And it talks about that, uh, but that's why Jesus came, right? Jesus came to, to take away uh, the sting. It doesn't sting quite as bad. It's a lot duller now that I know Jesus, the sting of death. And, and in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, a powerful verse that I had read a lot of times, but I never equated it uh, to use in a funeral service. And I've used it in every funeral service that I've done in the last 14 years, 15 years. And that is that Christ came to release those who through the fear of death, their whole life have been shackled, chained by the fear of death. People are chained. I see people in the church chained by the fear of death. It ought not to be. If you call yourself a Christian and you're scared to die, you and I need to talk. Because it is a calling, right? We looked at it in, in um, the book of Philippians last week. So it says, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's that, that infamous old death, where is your sting? It says, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption, so what's better? This one or the one to come? Thank you, right? And this mortal has put on immortality, what's better? Mortal or immortal? Immortal, I'll take it, right? Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, or grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So how we view this in our own lives, Jesus said it is a scary thing, people, if you die in your sins. Right? That's why there is a requirement of repentance. Lord, I turn. I turn to you. I turn away from my sin. You can't have both. Just saying. One of my favorite scriptures of all is found in John chapter 5, verse 24. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, letters in red. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Have you, have you got your pass? Do you have your pass? Because you can have your pass. I was in the hospital the other day, a fellow that has been coming to church here for some time. And I said, dude, uh, you, you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, right? He said, I suppose. Well, I said, we don't want suppose. I want to know. I want to know that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Because honestly, it wasn't looking real good. He's in his 80s. He's, he's had a brain bleed. He's, and, um, and he says, well, how do we do that? I said, well, I said, I'm going to be your witness. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You asking Jesus to come in, be your Lord and Savior. I says, when you do that, you become a citizen of heaven. The Bible says that our citizenship is in heaven, right? So when you ask Jesus to come and he takes away the fear of death. So we prayed. In my life of ministry over the last 
25, 30 years, there's no greater joy, folks. There is no greater joy than seeing somebody pass from death to life by receiving Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, right? I encourage everybody to do it. You got a friend in the hospital? Go ask him that question. Have you asked Jesus into your heart? Well, no, I, I guess I wouldn't know how to do that. That's why you're here. You go tell him, right? Pray with him. You ask him to come in and he will. You repent and turn from your sin and give him an invitation. The Lord's a gentleman. He's not going to kick down the door of your heart. He would like you to ask. You have not because you've asked not. So you got friends and family members. Well, I could never do that. What? All the years growing up that I was, I was growing up with them, the kids at Water Springs, I saw first graders lead people to Christ. We used to, first graders would adopt a rest home and we would go there once a month and sing songs. And then the kids would talk to them and the kids would ask them, do you know Jesus? Well, no. Would you like to? Well, yeah. Well, let me pray with you. Pray what I pray. First grade, they're leading 90-year-old people to Jesus. Statistically, that's like almost an impossibility. Because most people, most Christians come to Jesus by the time they're 18 years old. Of course, a lot of them haven't lived in the world we're living in today. So I think a lot of people are wanting to turn to the Lord. They want to turn to something. Because they know some, there's some bad stuff wrong. It's messed up. But, but how we deal with this. So, so notice how humble Abraham is right? How humble he is. He says, I'm a foreigner and a sojourner among you. That's, that's probably has a twofold meaning. Abraham, no, he, we know from scripture that he's, he, he understands. He's just passing through. You know, the old hymn. Oh, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are stored up somewhere beyond the blue, right? The angels beckoned me from heaven's golden shore, and I ain't going to be in this world anymore. Abraham knew that heaven was his home, but he, he was a foreigner, and, and he was very humble before these people who were residents. Not only that, but they were idol worshipers. They worshiped Baal. They didn't worship the same God as him. And yet, because of his witness and because of his, his, his kindness, they called him the prince. You are a mighty prince. That's how they saw Abraham. How does the world see you? Are you stuffy and legalistic? Do you got a good word to share with somebody who's lost and on their way to hell? Can you share the love of God with them? Without being a judgmental jerk? I have a hard time with that. But. Paul said something interesting to the churches. He said, listen, have a good report with those who are outside. Right? Have a good report with those who are outside. Who are outside what? Outside the church. When you're out there rubbing shoulders with people. That... Can they see and smell Jesus on you? That's the way we should, would, we should live. And 
And really, this was the land that God was giving him. And God gave it to him. All this stuff going on right now about the land of Israel and give it to the Palestinians. Are you kidding me? From the river to the sea? Have you heard that? From the river to the sea? That's talking, some think it's talking the Euphrates River. They want it all. Well, they, they probably just from the Jordan over because they already have the other. But from the river to the sea, they don't think, no, God gave it to Israel. In fact, it says in Leviticus chapter 25, 23, it says, the land shall not be sold permanently. This is the Lord. For the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. That's what God's saying. That's their land. God gave it to them. And they're sojourning with him. It's a temporary dwelling until the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his throne. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs> David also understood this in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 14. He says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willing as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. For we, for we are aliens and pilgrims before you as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Just passing through. You and I, we're just passing through. That's how we're to view our lives. That they're, they're very brief. They're very short. Abraham understood this. Verse 10 says, Now Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of, the, of Heth, all who entered the gate of the city, saying, No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave and that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. This guy's trying to be nice. He's trying to be a good neighbor. And he's a worshiper of Baal. He says, I give it to you. Some think that that actually, this is, this is how they um, negotiated uh, properties and stuff back then. Because it goes on, then Abraham bowed himself down before them. He knelt before the people of the land. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, and which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Aheth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants so he buys it doesn't doesn't try to jew him down abraham's a jew right he's very generous is that not politically correct or no he pays him the full price i looked up what's 400 shekels of silver worth today 130 bucks 
right? But back then, 130 bucks was bucos. That's a lot of cash, right? But he's willing to, Abraham's willing to, no, I'm, I'm, I'm buying it, man. I'm, I don't want you giving it to me. I'm buying it. I'm not taking anything from the world. We have to be careful what we accept from the world. You know, when the whole COVID thing hit, how many churches took money and lots of it? I don't think that was wise. Just personally, I don't think that was wise. When you take something from a, from a government like ours, don't you think they're going to come along with their big old fat thumb? And go, up, oh, we got you. Here you, you owe us a little. We actually here at OutWest, we are not a 501c3. We are a, we are a religious nonprofit. And so we're not a 501c3. So really, they don't have any leverage on us that way. Um, the 501c3 uh, um, designation is, is actually kind of scary because they do have some, some leverage on you. But don't take anything in the world. And as believers, we can be overly generous. Why can we be overly generous? Because you and I count out give God. You can't. We can't. Um, Jesus said, man, if somebody asks you for your, you know, your cloak, give him your coat too. If they ask you to go a mile, go too. You can't out give God. And that, you know, the world is just like, Gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm going to get what I can get while I can get it. And the Lord's going, no, you need to hold it like this. What's my, me casa, you suck, su casa. Did I say that right, my son? But Abraham, he was this, uh, he was wise. He was humble. He was generous, right? He, he. He was full of grace and mercy. And he is kind to these Baal worshipers. Now, I'm thinking that he also wanted to pay that money because you never want to give the world an inch. You give the world an inch and they'll take a mile, right? You remember back in chapter 12 when uh, the king of Sodom come up and he was negotiating with, with Abraham. He goes, hey, uh, hey uh, you, uh, you take all the goods. I want the people. This dude was the first trafficker, human trafficker, right? And, and Abe goes, no way. I, I'm not going to take a sandal strap from you. Lest, well, let me just read it to you. It's in verses 22 and 23 of of Genesis chapter 12. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abraham rich. Was that in 13? He wasn't going to do it. So, yeah, if you were looking at that, not lost, I was in the wrong chapter. Sorry. Verse 17. Like I said, we're finishing the chapter. Here we go. Verse 17. It says, so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, 
which was before Mamre, the field, the cave, which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in at the gate of the city. And after this, Abraham hurried, buried, excuse me, his wife, Sarah, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, which is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, so, he, so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. This is pretty interesting. The only land that Abraham owns in the promised land is a grave plot. Is a grave plot. This was kind of eye-opening to me as I... Uh, was thinking about how we deal with death. And really, the best way for you and I to deal with death is to dig our own grave. That's the best way to deal with death. To accept it. Because Jesus called you to it. He who would come after me let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. I'm going to close with a story. It was um, from a group called the One-Way Missionaries. And uh, it's interesting. In the early 1900s, there was a group of missionaries who, when they were about to embark on a mission to a foreign land would not pack a suitcase as most people would. Instead, they took a coffin, which they packed with their belongings along with a one-way ticket. By so doing, they demonstrated their intention to die sooner or later in the new land they were adopting. A good example of this sort of commitment and and intentionality was a missionary named Peter Milne. Milne selected at his, as his mission a tribe of headhunters in the new uh, Hebrides Island in the South Pacific off Australia's coast. Every other missionary that had attempted sharing Jesus with this group had been killed. Milne had no guarantee that would not be true of himself as well. Still, he was not deterred. So off he went with his coffin. He spent more than 50 years in the islands witnessing to the tribesmen about Jesus Christ. When he died of natural causes, the tribe buried him in a grave noted with this tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Folks, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a Christian. I mean, really be a Christian. And I'm learning when I read stuff like this and I realize the words of our Lord. It, it overwhelms me. I'm just thinking, I am such a weenie. A pea-hearted, no-account 
dog. If I am not willing to do this. Because we Americans, American Christians, we are so busy building our own kingdoms. There is no place for the kingdom of God in our lives. We're so busy doing our nice little things. Because we don't like our our lives messed with. We don't want to be inconvenienced with building a coffin and going where God calls no matter what. I think maybe what we should do is go to the workshop, start building our coffin, and truly lay down our lives and not just say it. Because I'm just as guilty as the next guy. I like my life. I don't like my, I don't want my life interrupted. But Jesus has called us to be interrupted. And to honestly die to ourselves. That's how we're to deal with death. I do a lot of funerals. People ask me, hey, Scotty, how do you go to all those funerals and you go to all them, them people crying and and I'm, I'm afraid I get calloused at times because I've learned when you're at funerals, you want to be brief, you want to be sensitive, and you want to be truthful. You want to be brief, you want to be sensitive, you want to be truthful. But also, we are not those who mourn without hope. Abraham only owned his grave plot. That's all he owned. I understand when people take a vow of poverty. I understand that. Because they want to be like their father, Abraham, the father of faith. You read about stuff like this, faith takes on a whole new meaning. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, but he's, he's tearing me up. So let's let him, shall we? Because folks, listen, time is really short. It's about over. It's about over. May we be ready to give an answer for what we did. And who we worshiped. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you for death. The death of self that you've called us to, and yet we can't do it. We can't do it without your help. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you open doors? Would you put things in front of us, Lord, that we know is is an absolute open door from the God of heaven? I'm I'm just seeking your forgiveness for my own uh, selfishness. Lord, help that to die. Help it to die in all of us. Lord, you've called us for such a time as this. Oh, what a time we live in. Lord, help us to be that salt and light. To be an open book. To have that good report on the outside. That, Lord, we can be trusted with what we say and what we do as your people. 
And because I'm so afraid of falling, Lord, I pray for your uh, quick return. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.